Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. You're listening to New Books and Geography, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host for today, Stentor Danielson, from the Department of Geography, Geology, and the Environment at Slippery Rock University. Today, I'll be talking to Tracy Williams, author of Adrift, The Curious Tale of the Lego Lost at Sea, published this year by Unicorn Publishing Group. Ms. Williams, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. To start off, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about your background and how you came to write this book? Well, as a family, we've always beachcombed. So when I was a child, we used to go on holiday to Cornwall. And every summer holiday, we'd meet up with our cousins and we'd scour the beaches for treasure. And back then, we'd look for sea glass and shells and little bits of driftwood. And we'd take them home and store them all in little jars. And over the years, uh, my parents moved to the south coast of Devon, in the early 80s and by then I had my own children and we used to go beachcombing and we started to find the Lego and that's really how the the story all began. All right so let's let's start with sort of the the details about the specific shipment of Lego that you're writing about in, in the book so tell us sort of how where and when did this Lego spill into the ocean? The spill happened in 1997. A cargo ship, the Tokyo Express, was on its way from Rotterdam in the Netherlands to New York when it was hit by a giant wave or rogue wave 20 miles off the Cornish coast. And 62 containers uh, toppled overboard and plummeted into the sea. And soon afterwards, beachcombers started to find Lego washed up on the, the shores of southwest England. And it was mainly sea-themed pieces. There were octopuses and flippers and life jackets, spear guns. Okay, and you... Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so that's how it all... That's that's when the spill happened. Okay. Um, And so you've been able to even sort of identify some of the specific, like, Lego sets that these were intended for? Yes, it was mainly um, sets like pirates and cowboys and diving sets and outback range. I think at the time we we didn't realize the scale of the problem. We started to find all these bits of Lego and uh, over the years we, we spent every summer and every Easter holidays picking up all these bits of plastic from the coast uh, in, in South Devon. And in 2010, I, I moved to Cornwall 
And on my very first trip to the beach, I found some of these Lego pieces washing ashore. And as I said, we we didn't really realise the scale of the problem then. It was only as we began to dig deeper and deeper into the story that we realised quite how much else was out there that we'd never seen. And I was in touch with uh, Dr. Curtis Ebersmeyer, the oceanographer who tracked the story of the, the Nike trainers and the rubber ducks. And I, didn't, I hadn't realised at the time, but he had actually been in contact with Lego back in 1997, and he'd contacted them and asked what had been inside the shipping container. And they gave him a very detailed inventory of everything on board. And there were a hundred different pieces, but beachcombers were really only finding the same 12 or 13 pieces, you know, for many years. Right, so it sounds like some of them like floated better or differently. Um, yes, or well, it might have something to do with sort of how they were packed in the shipping container. Well, we don't really know how they were packed. We know that we know they were in uh, tote boxes. Uh, we think probably they were the pieces were loose in the tote boxes. But what we realise now is that obviously beachcombers were finding all the bits that floated. Uh, Lego is made of many different types of plastic, and the lightweight plastics were the ones we were finding. What we didn't realise back then that there were probably millions of pieces that had sunk to the seabed. And we still don't know, actually, if some could still be trapped in the remains of a shipping container. It would be really interesting, I think, to find out, to see if we could go down and have a look to see if the shipping container is there and what's happened to it over the years. You know, it may be that the the Lego is still uh, escaping on on a slow basis. There are millions of pieces we've never found yeah, so what's what's actually making it to the beach is just kind of this one little sliver of what's going on. Yes, it's only part of the story. You know, what we know now is that there are there are millions of pieces still down there, and I think it uh, back in about um, I think it was about two thousand and fourteen. The fishermen started find well they started to report that they were too were finding Lego in their nets, and we hadn't realised that. I think they'd probably been finding it for years, but uh, weren't weren't sure what it was or didn't realise it was from the spill. Mm-hmm. And so these days, the, every week now, I go I go down to the fishing port to to see w- what the fishermen have found in their nets to see their catch of the day. And usually, with the hake and haddock, there there's Lego as well. So do they kind of know you as the Lego lady that comes around? They call me the Lego lady, yes. (laughs) So when I go down there, there many fishermen take part in uh, the fishing for litter scheme. And so whenever they trawl up fish from the deep, they they will inevitably bring a lot of plastic with it. And uh, I often go down and see what they've found. I'm also interested to know what else was uh, fell into the sea from the Tokyo Express. We obviously know that the Lego was in one of the containers, but there were another 61 containers and we still don't know what was in most of them. Hose parts were in one of them and lighters in another. Yeah, I guess the the Lego is kind of the the charismatic megafauna of uh, sea plastic, I guess, right? Yes, I think it's interesting because... it's it's fun to find. I think uh, many of the people that find the Lego 
clean the beaches on a daily basis. And it can be a pretty thankless task picking up <laughs> tens of thousands of bits of plastic. And I think people look on finding a bit of Lego as finding treasure. They see it as a reward for all the work they've done on picking up plastic from the beach. And it is fun to find, you know, people people travel from for thousands of miles to, to see if they can find a Lego dragon. I'm often contacted by people in the in the States actually who've come to England and to Cornwall just to just to hunt for a dragon. And uh, <laughs> sometimes they find Lego. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's why I got interested in this book and wanted to interview you because I was like, oh, Legos. I remember I loved Legos when I was a kid. I want to, you know, see how they, they fit into now I'm a, you know environmental studies teacher and I want to make that connection. So, yes, I think we've learned so much from the Lego story. I think I think personally, I'm very interested in the changing nature of beachcombing, how, you know, as children, we, we search for shells and sea glass. And these days we we hunt for plastic, but it, I think the Lego has proved a really useful way of highlighting the issue of ocean plastic. Everybody is familiar with it, and to be able to show what's happened to the Lego, how far it's travelled, you know, how how far it's floated on the the surface of the ocean, and how far it's drifted along the seabed, I th- and also what's happening to it as it breaks down. You know, you. you could, I can show a picture of a bit of Lego that Lego sent back in 1997 and compare it to one that a fisherman might have trawled up in his nets in previous weeks. And you can actually see what's happened to it. In some cases, very little has happened to it. It's some of the Lego that comes up from the seabed is in near perfect condition. Yeah, you've got some great pictures in the book where you have like you know, the, the same piece and you've got some that look practically brand new, some that are you know, very clearly weathered down, some that are like, you almost wouldn't know that they were Legos. They're, they've been so like uh, eroded just based on, you know, how long they've been in there, what kind of environment they were, um, you know, kicking around in before they were pulled up or, or washed onto the beach. Yes. I mean, I, I think sometimes, especially the, one of the bricks in the spill, spill was a, a green base plate, you know, one of those big flat Lego bricks that's 12 studs by 24 and I think there were about 4,200 of those in the shipping container but the fishermen find those in the nets quite often and obviously because of the size they don't they don't slip through the nets so they, they do come ashore and sometimes they're in such good condition we can only actually tell which ones are from the spill by the the marine life growing on the, on them. Yeah, that was another thing that was interesting, and maybe you can talk that about that a bit, because on a, a number of them, you actually found that, you know, sea life had, like, attached itself to the, the Lego, was using it as kind of a, you know, a starter for, for growing. Um, yes, I think it's, uh, it's becoming an increasing dilemma for beach cleaners because so much of the plastic we pick up now has been colonized. I picked up a piece of plastic last week that had tens of thousands of um, eggs on it, I think from a a dog whelk or something like that. But what do you do? You know, do you put them back? Do you put the plastic back in the sea? I think it's a, it's a dilemma, but certainly the Lego is, has been colonized much of it. 
it's interesting um some of the little lego life rafts back in the day everybody thought they would float and i think at the time there was great excitement in the in the states when everybody thought the the lego life rafts would drift across there but as far as we know only one has been found in the states so whether that's from the spill or not it's difficult to tell but the fishermen are finding those on a on a regular basis and the the little boats that the fishermen find are heavily colonised by cup corals and bryozoans, whereas what we're also finding now is some of the little Lego life rafts are actually making their way ashore. So they're not floating, but they're drifting long distances along the seabed, and those aren't as colonised. So that you, I can actually tell by looking at them whether it's come from a fisherman's net or it's one that's actually been making its way along the seabed for the last twenty-five years. Yeah, that you know, it, it complicates the neat line that we might want to draw between like pollution and stuff that's good for nature. When you know some of these sea life is like colonizing and making use of these, but you do have some examples too of where the the Lego has been clearly harmful to uh, ocean life. So could you talk about some of that? Yes, I think what's been happening, uh, quite a few fishermen have found cat sharks uh, with dog, uh, Lego door frames wrapped around them. And it, at first we thought that these, the, the sharks must be swimming through them on the, on the seabed. The fishermen think they might be coming entangled in the nets. So rather than swimming along the ocean floor as they're scavenging for food, as everything is hauled up together, the dogfish are becoming trapped as they come to the surface. But we're seeing, we've seen this on quite a few occasions. I don't, I don't yet know whether Lego has been found inside the, the inside any fish stomachs um, it would be interesting to know if that has happened. Obviously, we hope it hasn't, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, one day a fisherman does cut open a fish and find some Lego in it. Certainly, we, we, we get sent pictures of all sorts of things that fish have eaten, everything from golf balls to Coke cans. So, it's, yeah, it's quite upsetting to see. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably pretty likely that some of the Lego's gotten eaten, if, even if we haven't documented it yes uh, yeah. it'd be interesting to see if anybody comes forward with anything I, i'm i am expecting that to happen but so far we haven't seen that happen yeah so this book is based not just on your own you know beachcombing and what you've found but you've kind of become like a, a central point for <laughs> people you know people will send you information and stuff and you've got a lot of social media uh out there for people to, you know, contact you. Um, can you talk a bit about what that's been like becoming, you know, the Lego lady for <laughs> so many people and and being kind of at the, the hub of all of this interest in uh, these these Legos that are washing up on the beaches? Yes. So how how that happened? Um, I'd become when I moved to Cornwall. I was quite shocked to see all the plastic on the beach. I think it was in two thousand and ten when I moved here, and the very first time I went down to the beach, I found some Lego, and I was quite astonished because I'd forgotten about it really. Although we'd picked it up, you know, 
around about 1997 and in the following years, I hadn't really thought about it much. We'd moved inland and we'd spent less time on the beach. So going to the beach in 2010 and finding some Lego, I was I was amazed. And But there wasn't just Lego on the beach. There was so much plastic and I was really shocked at how much there was. I didn't remember, you know, so much plastic on the beach. So I became part of a beach clean network and there are many people here in Cornwall, as there are elsewhere, picking up plastic uh, on a daily basis. And I set up a Facebook page uh, called Lego Lost at Sea because I thought it would be quite interesting to see who else had found Lego over the years and you know, which bits they'd found and how far it had travelled. So I set up this page and people got in touch in their, in their hundreds initially and and told me about all the Lego they'd found and sent pictures of the dragons and octopuses. And then uh, the BBC saw the story and they sent a, a journalist down to Cornwall to cover the story. And after then, the reach of the page grew substantially. I think I went from about 400 followers to 50,000 followers and people got in touch in their thousands. So we were able to start mapping where the Lego was turning up and who was finding it and how far it travelled. Yeah, can you actually talk about that a bit? Like, how far have some of these pieces travelled from where that initial spill was? So much of the Lego uh, travelled along the English Channel, uh, so on the south coast of Devon, and then it moved on to Cornwall and Dorset. But some of it then was found in the Channel Islands and northern France and then Belgium. And quite a bit of the Lego actually made its way to the Netherlands. And I'm in touch with beachcombers there who have sent me pictures of all the Lego they have found. And there's quite a few dragons have turned up there, actually, on some of the more remote islands. Uh, it also went up the west coast of the UK and um, up as far as Cumbria. We don't know if it reached Scotland. We haven't yet had any reports from Scotland, but it also went up the west coast of Ireland. I've also had uh, reports from people in Portugal who found uh, some of the ship rigging and also cutlasses and Beachcombers in Australia have also found Lego there. And oceanographers do think it is, it is possible for the Lego to have travelled around the world by now. Obviously, it's very difficult to tell if an individual bit of Lego is from the spill or not. It's more about the context it's found in, you know, whether other pieces from the spill have been found nearby and more than one piece has turned up. So we're constantly mapping and recording uh, where it is. So it's giving us an insight into ocean currents, which we've all, we've also tracked cargo from other spills as well to, to map currents and publish some scientific papers on that. Yes, that's actually the next thing that I wanted to <laughs> ask about yep. was how this is helping you to understand kind of how the ocean works and where the currents are, are circulating. And I know you've collaborated with uh, on some of this work with uh, Dr. Curtis Ebbesmeyer that you mentioned uh, a little earlier. So can you kind of tell us what have you found? How does the, the Lego spill help us understand the ocean? I think in two ways, the Lego has helped us realize, you know, how, how far plastic travels on the surface of the ocean. 
And what we're now uh, looking at is how far the Lego is traveling along the seabed. But I think also not just the Lego, but there was a cargo spill of printer cartridges in, um, I think it was in the beginning of 2014. And I asked beachcombers around the world, because we had this huge following on our Facebook page, you know, we're in, t- in touch with beachcombers in all corners of the globe now. So I put out a shout um, on the page and mentioned this cargo spill of printer cartridges and asked beachcombers to get in touch if they'd found any. And we were able to map all these cartridges as they turned up all the way from Bermuda to Norway. And so that was, we could also, it was it was handy because all the printer cartridges were very helpfully date stamped. So we knew exactly which ones for, from the spill. They all carried a unique batch number. So it was a really useful tool to be able to track ocean currents. So we actually did publish a, a scientific paper on that. There are pictures of the HP cartridges in the book as well. Yeah. And so what has been the response that you've gotten from the Lego company uh, and then also from Lego fans, both uh, adult Lego fans and and children who play with Lego? I think, obviously, Lego, the Lego group, you know, wish the spill hadn't happened. It was something that was out of their control. You know, no company wants it's good to fall off a ship. Uh, it, it's very difficult, I think, for companies to know what to do in the circumstances. If there's a cargo spill on a road, you can send a team of people to pick it up. But if there's a spill in the ocean, there's actually very little you can do. It, it, when the HP printer cartridge spill happened, you know, the, the company offered to send teams of people to the beach to, to pick the cartridges up. But the cartridges actually washed up on hundreds of different beaches. You know, they're still washing up today. And so it, it's not that easy to go and pick them up. And I think back in the day, Lego did what it did, what it could at the time. Um, I think the initial cleanup was paid for by the vessel's insurers. And Lego responded to people who wrote to them and said they'd found Lego and sent them free sets. Um, but as they said to me when I inter- interviewed them for the book, you know, they wished they could turn the clock back. It wasn't something they wanted to happen. You know, they they sent the Lego in good faith. It was going off to Connecticut, I think, to be made up into kits when it fell, it fell overboard. And I guess nobody really realised back then that it would still be washing ashore 25 years later. And I think that's what's... It's been a real eye-opener for me, and I think a lot of people as to, you know, what happens in the event of a cargo spill. You never really hear about all the goods that sink to the seabed. You know, whenever there's a cargo spill, there's a brief flurry of interest in what went overboard, and people start finding a few bits and pieces washed ashore. And then it all goes quiet. You never hear about all the goods that sank to the bottom of the sea. But what we've learned from the Lego story is that 25 years on, it's still there. It's still Millions of pieces are still lying at the bottom of the sea that are still being found by fishermen. Beachcombers are still finding it. We think a lot of it is still trapped in the dunes. Every time we have a big storm here and a high spring tide, the waves will eat into the dunes and all the plastic that's been trapped there for decades will get washed out. And we also know that the Lego that sank to the seabed all those years ago, some of it is still gradually making its way ashore every time there's a big deposit of kelp 
near the brown seaweed on the beach. It's absolutely full of plastic, not just Lego, but all the goods that sink to the bottom of the seabed. So it's usually uh, plastic bottle fragments and clothing. And it, it eventually makes its way ashore. So I think for many people, the whole Lego spill has been a really interesting way to learn about plastic in the ocean, you know, what happens to it, how far it travels, what happens to it as it breaks down. Yeah, and it, it connects that all into our, our global economy because we just have so much stuff that's shipped on these giant, you know, container ships. And I think you've got a picture in the, the book of one of these that it's, you know, kind of amazing that it doesn't all spill because there's just so many containers on this ship uh, to go across the, the ocean. And we all buy stuff that's, you know, gets shipped um, like that all the time. Never even think about that, you know, the thing that I just ordered off of Amazon, you know, if, they, if it doesn't make it, it might end up washing up on a, a beach, you know, 25 years from now. I know, it's it's shocking, isn't it? And I think that, that for me, that's, it's, I've just learned, I think, so much about plastic in the ocean. You know, for me, the Lego story began as a bit of fun. It's something I used to do with my children. Every time we went to the coast, we'd, we'd have a treasure hunt and we'd we'd look for Lego. Um, but it was finding everything else, you know, that does, it's absolutely shocking, you know, how much plastic there is in the sea. Uh, so yes, it's, it's, it's been a real eye opener for me and for many other people. Yeah. And so the, the Lego company has actually recently been trying to make some, some moves to make its products more kind of sustainable because the, the types of plastic that they've been using all along the idea was well this will last forever and like parents can pass their legos down to their uh kids and they'll still be you know workable toys but then the, the downside to that is if they get lost uh like this then they also are never going to go away um but they've been working i guess on some like biodegradable plastic formulations uh for some of their uh for some of their pieces to try to address uh issues like this Yes, they have. Uh, you know, I th- I, th- I think it's, it's going to be a, a long haul. I think they they found replacements for some of the parts, but not all. Uh, I think it's it's uh, proving very difficult to get the uh, the bricks uh, to to click together, to snap together um, using the the new sustainable products. I think that's proving to be a bit of an issue. But it would be interesting to see. I'm sure they'll overcome it. But I think one thing, um, we don't just find Lego from the spill. I think this is something that Lego themselves were, were quite surprised about. We regularly find Lego on beaches. It, it, it's, not, it's not all from the spill. And I think it comes, you know, it ends up in the ocean in all sorts of different ways. I think, you know, Lego dropped on streets will, you know, get washed into storm drains and into rivers and will make its way to the ocean that way. I think children play with Lego on the beach. Um, and I think, you know, it, it does last a very long time. So I've made reference to a few of the illustrations, uh, but I want to now ask you uh, to talk a bit more about those, because this is a, this is a very lavishly uh, illustrated 
book. And, you know, when I first was making arrangements to interview you, I thought I would just get like the ebook version that would be simpler. Um, but I'm kind of <laughs> glad that I couldn't do that. And I had to get the, the actual physical book, because even though it took a little while to get shipped to me from the UK, actually, <laughs> and luckily not lost in a spill. Um, <laughs> that was my big worry, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that would be kind of ironic if I... Mm. This book got lost in a, a spell, but it made it to me, uh, and I'm glad it did because it's so much nicer to see some of these photos, you know, on on paper. So, can you talk a bit about your kind of thinking, your decision process about, you know, what to include, how to photograph things, how to illustrate visually some of the stuff that you're writing about? I think it really started off as a scrapbook. You know, I'd been keeping a record of everything I'd found and photographing everything in situ as I'd found it and uh, making notes. And I think in many ways, my my social media pages had become like an online journal. You know, people were contacting me via, via social media, via Twitter and by Instagram. And, and I was just, you know, keeping a record of everything that had happened. And uh, in fact, there's an awful lot that hasn't made it into the book because there was just so much but and I quite I wanted it to be a book that people could dip into um a bit like you would on social media really so you know we had we had everybody joined in really so many people sent me their photos and people have been incredibly generous you know giving me permission to use their photos so you know we we had um pictures sent from from hot from Holland of the dragons found there and Ireland and so there are many pictures of the Lego as as it's been found all around all around the world um and I think the designer did a beautiful job I think she came down to Cornwall to to stay with me so she could get a feel for the landscape and uh and I think she's captured the Cornish landscape really well in some of the illustrations but again all the old finds I'd, I'd just been keeping a record of and photographing everything I found and you know spending my evenings researching I think one of the things was we knew the Lego was old but when I first started off doing this, I didn't realize that so much of the plastic was old. So we knew the Lego was, you know, 25 years old. But some of the other plastic items turned out, turned out to be even older. So some of the cereal packet toys, for example, we find date back to the 50s and 60s. I'm sure some of the toothbrushes are even older. So I've spent a lot of time, you know, look at, looking at how old these products are and, and what's happened to them. And... As you know, the plastic doesn't really go away. It's uh, it's just lasts forever. It's now a good time to talk about the uh, the experiments we did uh, with Plymouth University as well. About to, to yes, look at. yes, definitely. Yeah, so we teamed up with uh, scientists at the University of Plymouth um, to see if we could find out how long Lego could last in the ocean. And we didn't use uh, Lego from the spill. We used random bits of Lego that we'd picked up from beaches. And they, these were classic Lego bricks. So a lot of them were earlier than the, the spill. So the scientists actually examined them in the lab and compared them to uh, plastic bricks that had been in private collections from the same period. And their experiments revealed that Lego could last in the coastal environment or the ocean for anything from 100 to 1300 years. So beachcombers of the future, you know, could still <laughs> could still be picking up this Lego for a very long time to come. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm imagining somebody 1,300 years ago having Legos that, that we would find today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's beachcombers of the future that will be finding the Lego. But yes, it's it's going to be around for a very long time, I think. But some of the plastic bottles we found, you know, they, they date back to the 50s. And I hadn't realized that when I when I started off on this quest, quite how old some of this other plastic was. Yeah, that was one of my, my favorite parts was the kind of timeline that you have where you show because, you know, some of the things you found were made like, you know, for just like one year as like a cereal box toy or something. So you could very precisely date how old these things were. And they said they go back basically as long as we've been mass producing this kind of plastic material that you can find. Yes, uh, it was. it's mainly sort of post-war, isn't it? But Yes, particularly the plastic uh, cereal packet toys. They are they're very, very dateable. And I think there's a certain amount of nostalgia attached to them as well. You know, whenever I post images of the cereal packet toys, you know, people remember them. They they remember the fights over the, the breakfast table, you know, who was going to be first to get the toy outside. So, yeah, the Kellogg's and Quakers and... As in the book, I've uh, got a picture of a Zorro ring um, from puffed wheat, which was actually given away in 1959. So, and there were the baking powder submarine toys as well. I don't know if if you remember those, but um, lots yeah, of those. I, I never encountered those. <laughs> yeah. So what advice would you give someone if they're you know, going down to the beach and they think they might encounter some of the, these Lego or, or any other you know, plastic things that are, are washing up? What would you say I think it's a really good. I think it's a really good thing to, when you find a bit of plastic, to work out what it, what it is, how it got there, and what could have been done to have stopped it getting to the beach in the in the first place. About eighty percent of litter found on beaches is is said to come from the land, and um, I think for me, I had a great moment of realization actually when I'd been picking up plastic from, from beaches for years, and my son was actually very ill in hospital in London, and I spent a lot of time in London you know, pacing the streets while he was, you know, in surgery or, or whatever. And um, I started to notice as I was pounding the streets, you know, all the plastic, all the same things lying on the streets that I was finding on the beaches. And in particular, one thing I regularly used to find on beaches was um, a bookie's pen, a bookmaker's pen. We used to find hundreds of them, and I always assumed they must be from a cargo spill. There were so many. And then as I was you know, walking around the streets of London, I noticed that outside every bookie's shop, these pens were scattered all over the pavement. And I, if you, if you look in the storm drains surrounding the bookie shops, you see that all these pens are gradually you know, being washed down the drains. And I, I realised that actually all these pens weren't from a cargo spill at all. They were all being dropped on streets, you know. They're single-use pens. They only have a tiny bit of ink in them, so people go in, make a bet, and then just <laughs> drop it on the street outside the shop. And they just, every after heavy rain, they just get swept swept into the gutters and into the storm drains and down the rivers into the sea. And it wasn't just that. I started to realise that, you know, even things like the little soy fish containers, you know, we often find those little fish-shaped soy containers. And 
again, on the pavements, there were so many of these lying just scattered around, again, being washed into drains. And I, I certainly began to realise just how much you know, was making its way from the, the streets and towns. Yeah, and this, this seems like that'd be even a, an interesting, like, uh, class exercise or something for, like, an environmental studies class. Go down to the beach, find something, figure out where it came from and how it got there. Absolutely. And in fact, somebody's uh, on, on social media today has has <laughs> said how they're using things from the book just for that purpose. I think it's, it's, it's giving people food for thought. And I, you know, apparently it's a, a lot of dyslexic children are finding it really interesting as well it it wasn't that I, I didn't write it as a children's book but I think there are elements of it that do appeal to all ages um and it's a book that families can share as well yeah definitely like you know children can appreciate you know just kind of looking at the pictures thinking about what they might find on the beach and then you know as you get older you can read more of the text and kind of and get deeper into it yeah and just work out you know how that could have got there you know was it left behind by a child playing on the beach or did it come from a cargo spill or was it dropped on a, a street in a city and you know washed into a storm drain i think you know if some of these objects could talk there are some amazing stories behind what washes up okay so i i think this is a, a good point we don't want to give away all of the the secrets of the book uh, <laughs> for people uh, who can go check it out and, and get your own copy. So uh, to wrap up our, our interview, I always like to end by asking, what are you working on next? Two things. Uh, I'm writing a, a chapter for a book on plastic archaeology, uh, because that's a, a subject that really interests me, uh, how the artifacts or the, you know, the items we're finding now are really the artifacts of the future. And we're also working on a scientific paper about the Lego spill, this time looking at how far ocean currents have uh, swept the Lego from the spill uh, over the years. Um, so we, we're mapping, you know, where the little Lego life rafts uh, and so on are now, now making landfall. Because I think that it's an area that's not much studied and because you as I mentioned earlier, you know, you don't, you don't really hear about all the items from cargo spills that sink to the bottom of the sea, but the Lego is now making its way ashore along the seabed. So, yeah, we're, we're mapping that. Somebody did actually find one of the very rare green Lego dragons, which are like the holy grail of Lego hunting. There were 33,000 black dragons or nearly 34,000 black dragons, but only 514 green dragons. I've never found a green dragon. And then a few weeks ago, it was actually the day before the book was launched, um, a beachcomber uh, in North Cornwall actually found one washed up there, but it hadn't floated. It had actually, uh, it, it, it was a sinker. <laughs> it had been lying on the seabed for decades and eventually just finally made its way ashore. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much indeed for having me. It was a pleasure. You just heard a conversation with Tracy Williams, author of Adrift, The Curious Tale of the Lego Lost at Sea, published this year by Unicorn Publishing Group.